hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of It's Everything with me, your hostess, B.B. Sweetbriar. We are the Sunday weekly edition of the Michelle Meow Show, and we're always happy to be in this spot. And plus, it is the seventh day of Christmas, if you're doing that whole 12-day thing, because it is uh, the 20th of December. So we only have... I like to think of it as shopping days. You only have today, counting today, five more days of shopping before, you know what, if you didn't get it, they ain't going to get it. That's kind of how I put it. You know what I mean? So, um, and speaking of shopping, it's kind of, uh, kind of uh, apropos that we actually have that topic because um, a couple of guests that we have on the show are going to deal exactly with that holiday shopping. Um, This month's uh, edition of Left Magazine here in San Francisco, or actually it's a California publication, deals or has a feature editorial about shopping local, shopping um, where it counts in your community. And I will have David Helton, who is the publisher and the creative director for Left and the um, lead photographer um, also who was a part of the feature, Jeff Kaluzny, will be with me. So um, those two will have something really great to say about the article and, you know, probably some personal stuff they can throw in about shopping local. Um, also joining me will be an interview I had with Jake Beyonde, who is the Beyonde, who's the author of Boys Town. It's in its fourth season. That's what he calls his books. They, he calls them seasons. And um, it's kind of in time for you to get for holiday. I think, you know, reading is one of those things that we don't do enough of. And I think a lot of the time it's because we don't actually think much of it for other people. So if we buy books and buy reading material for other people, maybe you in tune yourself will get involved with it. So we'll talk to him a little bit about his new book. And joining me later will be Sister Roma, who will fill us in, give us an update on the community meeting that Facebook held in San Francisco over the authentic name issue. So those will be my guests today, and I'm really excited about having them uh, with me. And since we are on the topic of the season, I'm going to you know, end our first segment here before we go into our commercial break with a seasonal song. Well, the word seasonal might be a little bit uh, tongue-in-cheek there because it's by the AAA girls, which are comprised of RuPaul, Drag Race Girls, Courtney Act, um, Willem, and Alaska. So here is Christmas Sweater, and we'll be back into commercial after that. Grab the garbage can lift for a ghetto sleigh ride. And this could be gingerbread tastes like Jaeger. The worst Christmas ever. Bitch, you don't know what's planned. Everything is better in my ugly Christmas sweater. Don't care what Santa brings, won't send him a letter. Make a list and check it twice. On the morning flight to Paris Night before they punished me and sent me to the attic 
woke up, rolled out. Mum forgot about me on the plane and freaked out. Two guys tried to break into my house, but I was smarter. Set a bunch of traps, set a guy on fire. Yeah, I nearly died. Mum had to ask John Candy for a ride. Wait a second, that sounds really familiar. No, no, that's my family Christmas, that's what happens. Do they even have Christmas in Australia? No. brother got karate patches and I really wanted to get karate patches so I thought I was gonna get karate patches and then I didn't get karate patches everything is better in my ugly Christmas sweater don't care what Santa brings one cent Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. Well, hello, hello, and welcome back to It's Everything with me, your hostess, B.B. Sweetbriar. If you just joined us, we are the weekly Sunday edition of the Michelle Meow Show on Progressive Voices Network on TuneIn.com. So I'm sure you know where it is because you're listening, so it's kind of great. Um, but um, I have been talking about the holidays a lot lately, and um, one of the big things about the holiday season is, of course, shopping. Sometimes it's just for yourself, but most times it's for other people. And there is a, an article that j- recently popped up in this month's edition of Left Magazine in the Bay Area. You can find it at liveleft.com if you don't have a hard copy. But it talks about actually shopping local. And I have the publisher and creative director, editor, and all man of all hats uh, for left, as well as uh, the lead photographer and editor also. He does some editing for the magazine who took part in this feature editorial. Um, so I have David Helton 
and Jeff Kluzny. I know that's a real hard. I know they screw that up all the time, right? Spot on. I know, so, um, um, but these two guys wrote a one. Not only wrote this article, but they actually did some research um, by participating in the idea behind the article, and um, going out and actually doing some shopping in the Castro area district of San Francisco. And um, so, D- David, tell me first of all, this this article is about shopping local. But you make a distinction between two words, local and locally. And I want you to try to tell us what the distinction is and why is it important for us to know that. Right. Uh, Shopping locally means that you go to uh, a a place in your vicinity. So that could include Target. That could include Walmart. That could include Costco. Those are stores that you shop locally where people are employed. So some of your money does stay in the in the neighborhood and in the in in your uh, area, but a lot of that money that you spend at Target and places like that goes back to their corporate headquarters and doesn't stay in your community. Mm -hmm. That's locally. Shopping local means it's local business, local owned. The person, the money goes home to put braces on somebody's kid or pay for it. It recycles, actually. It recycles back in the community. And a lot of those those local businesses are the businesses we solicit for charity work. So Mm -hmm. a lot of that money comes back into the community in all kinds of different ways. And they say that more than 80% of it stays in the community when you shop at a local business, mm-hmm. whereas only less than 38% stays in the con- economy if you shop locally. So well, if you buy online, zero. Right, exactly. Not one you, penny. Exactly. Um, why is it that you think, I mean, when I listened to that, when I read the um, article and I listened to that, it just seems to make sense because there are a lot of local stores owned by local owners that provide everything that we need as far not just services like massages and stuff like that, but goods. Uh, and many times those goods are made local, you know, whether it be the wine country or whatever. So you're even talking an extended, you know, uh, geographic location. So, you know, wine from Sonoma to me is local, right. you know, um, and it would be in, in, in a shop here. But why is it so difficult for us to, to, to actually go out and do that? I mean, we will go and buy Sonoma wine online. Right. Right? Well, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's or at a myth. safe way as or, opposed to your local big, wine. Big, exactly, exactly. Well, there's this myth that you're overpaying if you shop local. Mm-hmm. You know, you go in these cute little boutiques and shops, and, and you, you know what? We moved to San Francisco because we love all these cute boutiques and shops. Mm-hmm. How can we expect them to stay around if we don't spend a little bit of money there? Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing that is really interesting is people will go into these stores, see something they like, and then go home and look for it online and buy it on Amazon. So you don't understand when you're when these little when these local people, you know, start a business. It's their whole life. You know, a lot of the business owners we've talked to, especially in the Castro district. You know, they eat, live, breathe, sleep that business, and they curate all these great items. So from the moment you walk in the store, you're getting the benefit of their expertise. They found the cool items. so That fit this locale. Exactly. They right. know what we are going to like. So it's really kind of a slap in their face to then take a photo of that and go home and buy it online. To or say even worse, well, try funny. something on and then Right, exactly. Them. Well, it's yeah. kind of funny you say that because I remember when I used to travel for my a job and Hawaii was one of my destinations uh regularly and 
you'd go into the Macy's there, and in the Macy's they would have long sleeve turtleneck shirts, right. which of course would always be fifty to seventy five percent off because nobody in Hawaii wears those. Right. So I would buy from that Macy's in Hawaii and bring it back with me <laughs> right. because I need them here. Right. So it's kind of funny because Macy's has no is not doing those selective type of buying. Um, for those areas. They're just buying a whole bunch of stuff, which is why sometimes you find those goods cheaper because they can mass purchase right. from a wholesaler. Um, but they're, like I said, they're not, you know, people in Hawaii are wondering, what the hell are they doing with this stuff in here? I need some T-shirts. Right. I need exactly. some, you know, tank exactly. tops. And- well, you know, it's, these local artisans really have their finger on the pulse of what's trendy. Mm-hmm. So, you go into some of these stores and they know what's the next thing. Whereas if you go to Target, you're getting what's trendy in the Midwest or what's trendy common in the denominator. South. Yeah, it's the right. lowest common denominator on these things. So, you know, it's um, not saying that you shouldn't go to, I mean, people want to get value out of their money. No, we're not saying that people should just blow money. But if you're buying something specific, you should get it from a local and, store. And, and those large retailers, as you uh, start the conversation out, do usually provide jobs for local people. So as you said, a portion of the money spent there does go back into the community through the employees. But um, one thing that I think when we talk about employees and you talk about owners of local business is that, we, we have a tendency to complain a lot about service, and that's something that has been on the decline in this world right. for a, a long time. And service is something you really can't put a price on, I don't right. believe. Um, but ser- good service is something for me. I'm a creature of habit. If you treat me good once, I'm going to be back. I don't care if I move three blocks away, I'm going to keep coming there. I learned that from my dad. Right. I, you know, you're going to keep coming because you know my name, you, right. you know, you know, you know my needs. Um, and those local owners do that because they know that I'm going to see you out. I'm going to see you out somewhere right. on the street. Right. And I don't want you coming up to me when I'm with my family going, you know, that stuff I bought from you. You yeah. don't want any of that. So my service to you is beyond those four walls of that shop. Well, that kind of harkens back to the day of knowing your butcher, you mm-hmm. know, knowing your local shopkeeper. You 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 got familiar. You you were familiar with them, mm-hmm. and the more familiar you are with someone, the better service you're going to get. Right. And you're not going to get that in a big box store. You're going right. to get that when you go and you you frequent. Um, think of your local bartender. You get better service from a bartender because you have why, familiarity. Why, why are you looking at me when you talk about bartender? <laughs> because you're, you're so drunk, right <laughs> drunk right now. Bro. Your eyes are so You're nasty. holding a cocktail. I was, That's why I, was, okay. <laughs> I do believe there's photos of you in the magazine at a bar. Oh, oh that, that is true, but I didn't have you a cocktail in, in my hand. You were in character. Yeah, I was in character. I was in character. That's a good but, yeah, but that's a good that, – that's the point I'm making exactly what you're talking about is because – uh, it is it is um, more personal, and they do know your needs. You know, it's, it's kind of funny that even though Starbucks is a, a huge franchise, you know, I always I always say that they do at least take the local mentality of doing business and bring it into a a, a corporate franchise type of idea because, you know, they're. Getting your name is important. And not only that, they know that when I have your name, I remember a lot more about you uh, as a customer. So when I'm out, how many times I've gone and my barista goes, oh, large latte, you know, they know what I order, you know, and we're nowhere near work right now. So, um, but you get that all the time with the local um, um, owner, I, I do believe. And so what about companies, though, that are local how can, what are your thoughts? Because there's a lot of statistics that you have in this um, article, and I, 
I, uh, the public out there, I do encourage you, if you do not have access to a Left magazine, you can find the, the article on liveleft.com. I suggest you read it, even if you're not in this local means wherever you are. So whatever right, community right. you live in, in this United States of America, this article applies to you. You can find a link also on the Facebook, on our, on our left, Facebook, on yeah. left, um, left magazine. magazine. Um, but the, what is it that local, we're, we're talking about what the community can do to support local, local owners. What can the local owner do to help compete with the idea of shopping online and, and the idea of people coming into my shop to see what they want and then go elsewhere to, to get it? Um, is there any, have you put any thought about what can the owner do to help their cause um, a little bit? Right. What I've, what I learned are when I was doing the research, and this is not just in San Francisco, this is across uh, the country, is you kind of get what you pay for. And this is kind of what you were saying earlier. If you pay someone minimum wage to work a register, you're going to get the minimum service. Mm -hmm. And if you want people to really care about their job, they have to feel valued. And a lot of these small business owners, even though they only have one or two employees, I learned those people are making $15, $20, $25 an hour. They're really taking care of those employees. So those employees in those stores some of some of them got jobs. 401k yeah. plans. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they you do. know, I'm like, whoa. Yeah, they take care yeah. of them, and you know, they may may only be able to afford one or two employees. But the great thing is, those one or two employees, you know, they're never late. They give great customer service, and I think that's how they stand out. But if these businesses want to compete, especially in San Francisco, where the rent is just skyrocketing, if you walk through any of our neighborhoods, you're going to see stores boarded up, and they're boarded up because no one can afford the astronomical the amount price, of rent yeah. that that we're asking for. And, and that's why it's even more important to, to volume shop at those yep. places. I, I just want to quickly hit on one thing because I read this on LinkedIn actually, and um, that some corporate um, human resources um, executive put down that she hires character. She can train a skill. Absolutely. Right. And I think, Local owners do that. Yep. They hire character. They hire another community person that goes to church with you. Your kids go to school together. And that's important to them. And they can teach them how to do what they need them to do. In-house ambassadors essentially right. is what they're, they're, you know? they're hiring. But these bigger places, they're looking for a body to do a something. Cog, a you cog know? in the system. To right. And, and even though that person may also be a community person, they might not be that community person that you want. Right. To be touching your goods, right? <laughs> or, also, they they treat or knowing job. your business. Yeah. That's number one. But a lot of these, um, you know, a lot of workers, and we're, I mean, when I had a job like that at a high school and college, the job is disposable. You know that it's not your career. But a lot of these uh, small businesses have hired, you know, older people, people in their fifties mm -hmm. and sixties, who are probably ready to retire, but just not ready yet to be at home. Or need that yeah, job. And they just, Social Security handy yeah, ain't, exactly. You know. It won't cut it. So the great thing about it is they're giving people a chance who normally wouldn't make it through the interview process for a tech job at Google or Facebook. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to live here. It really is the most expensive city in the country. And if we don't want to be walking around looking at boarded up storefronts, we have to kind of use our dollars to show support. Right. And you don't have to do a lot. You know, um, I'm guilty of this. I Until this article, I was an Amazon because I like convenience and I inherited that from the millennials. And that's kind of what I talk about in the article is we're so used to our phones being our link to the world. I use my phone for everything except talking. I buy, buy, buy. They make it easy to press a button and get something delivered quote for free. But the problem is it's not really free. But I think we can cure that with you because 
I believe there's a plenty of local companies that do, in fact, make it easy for you to shop on their website. That's true. They're um, starting so, to, yeah, and and that, I think that was kind of alluding to that. I was, I was thinking that maybe we might bring that up, but I think more and more local companies need to get internet friendly. You know, many of them have websites, but it's just, just information. Right. But people can shop on there, again, spending their money in a convenient way. I don't have to go down to your store to see the items. Also, it helps the owner because they don't necessarily have to stock all that stuff. You know, they can right. they can buy it as the customer orders it, um, and they don't have to stock it. But um, but that money spent online for Joe for Joe's craft shop, you know, you right. can either come pick it up or they'll mail it to you. Number number one or number two, that dollar goes back into the community again, and you mm -hmm. still have that luxury of convenience. Right now, what I've also found a lot of these uh, small businesses once you come in and at, tell, just introduce yourself, ask for a business card. They give you their cell number. Like, mm -hmm. uh, for example, Giddy, uh, it's a local candy store that just opened up in the Castro. You know, her name's Mary. I introduced myself. She gave me a card. And then when I was at work at my day job, I was like, oh, we want to order some candy for all of the employees as a, you know, holiday gift. I just sent her a text message and Bam. she was able to whip that up and get Bam. it ready for me. Yeah. And it was, you know, a big six, seven, eight hundred dollar order for her. And now the candy was such a hit because everyone liked it. We'll do it for Easter. We'll do it for Halloween. Right. We'll do, so she'll, she'll get several orders throughout the year. And those people will take, ask me, Oh, where did you get this great candy? And I tell them it's word of mouth and it spreads really, really quickly. But these, these people who own these businesses are accessible. They yeah. will literally pick up their phone on the second ring. Whereas if you call the CEO of Walmart, you'll probably get voice. Yeah. Out. There hasn't been a, there hasn't been a moment that we've gone into the candy shop and she's not there. Yeah. And it's, and, it's, and we can talk, we can say that about many of the local, yeah. exactly. It, particularly exactly. in Castro that, you know, I used to live there and, and I still go into, I, I live in the mission, um, which is my immediate area, but I do a lot of shopping still in the Castro just because I lived there for so long and it's a good, you know, a good, a good walk, which I could use. So I yeah. do the walk and the people that I'm used to seeing, they're always in there. Right. And, um, and I just feel, I feel comfortable. I feel, I feel like I'm getting honesty when they're talking to me. I feel that they're not going to cheat me because I think what local businesses see in a customer is repeat business. Right. They, the better I treat you, the more you're going to come in. They know there's many of me's out there that no matter where you are in the city, you're still going to come back to someplace that treats you. Where I think a lot of large corporate company uh, companies just say that there's a lot of bodies and I just try and get bodies. They don't have to come back again. I just need to keep getting more bodies. Right. And, um, and I think that's a, a, a big difference. Um, you know, and a lot of times people, you know, think that, in this day and age when we do a lot of, um, we don't have a lot of time, which is really weird because I think we accomplished quite a bit before when we didn't have cell phones and computers. At least I remember them yeah. days because I'm old enough to know that. But, um, but we get so busy that everything we do is last minute. A lot of things that we do is last minute, including shopping. Right. Somebody's birthday, you buy a gift before you go to the event. Right. Uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and you and, hope that they have uh, right. gift bags too right. with tissue. You yeah. know, so um, but you know, sometimes you can do it really quickly on a phone and just give them the you know, here's your number, and they will deliver. You know, make some excuse; they'll deliver to you wherever you want, whenever you want. Right. Okay, thank you. you right. know. Also, you know, we've just lost patience. Like a lot of us have. I have no patience, and don't wait. Me wrong, line. I love me some Costco. I I love I, I love that overwhelming feeling of 
mass consumption. It appeals to something in all of us, I think, that's a little crazy. Consume, 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 more, bigger, better. To see 50 TVs all you know, lined Staring up like back that. at you. It makes you, visceral, yeah, it really, there's something really like that gets your adrenaline. It's like a gambling addiction almost. You go into Costco and you see it when you see those people pushing three carts, you know, piling the stuff into their carts, not thinking, wow, do I really need all this stuff? Do I really need 900 rolls of toilet paper today? You know, like, right. but you know, people consume and it, it, they play into that. It's a, it's a human, they stack all the boxes up on those high shelves Really? No one's going to really climb up there. Why are those up there? Most of those boxes are empty. They're just to give you the feeling that they have so much that they can give it away. And they're not really giving it away. They're charging you, you know, for it. Well, I think that I'm going to put a challenge out there to anyone who's listening to really look at their shopping habits. Where are, where are they spending their dollars? Um, it, it, are they doing it at the large companies that are franchises where – uh, or large companies that aren't franchises where the money primarily is going back to a corporate office, or are they keeping the money in the community? I um, also like to challenge the people to <clears throat> look at what their experience is shopping. I think a lot of times we do internet shopping because our experiences have been horrible. Right. And they've probably been horrible because you haven't been sh shopping local. Right. Um, so, um, uh you know, look at that because shopping should be a great experience. It should be fun. <clears throat> Maybe it's the time that you, you know, you always say, I don't have time to spend with a friend. Maybe you should make a shopping date and just go with a friend and go That's to your local idea. shop. Remember going to the like mall that. when you were kids? Right. You know, exactly. just go and have an experience. And so, you know, you're, you're talking with them and you're talking to the local owners. Um, but I will challenge people to do that out there for this season and for beyond um, uh, for all their needs. And I want to thank you guys for writing the article because I've heard from many people, not only because the photographs are wonderful. Thank you, Jeff. <laughs> thank I, I happen you. to be uh, one of the models in the um, – in the, the piece, and the piece is like 13 pages. This, this is not just a little blurb. This is a lot of information, people. And um, But I've been getting a lot of feedback. That They looked at the pictures, but they read the information. Right, and right. they were like, gosh, I didn't really realize the impact that, you know, shopping at Safeway. Because you think, like you said, you think locally. Yeah. But you need to think local. Where's your money going? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know what? And the great thing about that photo spread is we wanted to show that it's fun. Mm -hmm. That you can have a good time and go out. And, and I mean, we had the time we not have life. the best time. We, we had It the was time of amazing. Our life. Not only that, gang out there, as you guys all know that I'm an entertainer um, as well, I met a stranger in one of the shops, local shops, who came to my show the That's next right. day. Right. So it was like, for me, it was almost like, had I done something online, I never would have personally met this person, and I never would have had them at my show. Right. So it was kind of kind of cool. I mean, you guys proved a, I proved a point. Right. It was like, so, so cool about yeah. that. But if you like these businesses, you have to advocate for them. Mm -hmm. You know, you really and do. One other tier, one other tier is, you know, when you say I'm saving more money online, really take a look at how much you're saving. Is it $5? And is that $5 really worth right. seeing a local store go away? I mean, right. it's, it's, it's $5 to us. Sure. It's, 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 I'm speaking very, you know, um, generally, but $5 to, mo to a lot of people isn't even a cocktail. Because that same person will complain about that space at how much it turns over. Exactly. Right. So they won't right. go in and buy anything. Guys, I want to thank you guys so much for spending some time with me this morning and talking about um, all of that because I think it's very, very important. So thanks um, again. Again, this was David Helton and Jeff Kaluzny with Left Magazine, liveleft.com. We're going to be right back after this message.
think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? <laughs> Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. Welcome back to another segment of It's Everything with me, your hostess, B.B. Sweetbriar. We are the Sunday weekly edition of the Michelle Meow Show. And earlier we had Dave and Jeff from Left Magazine, and we talked about um, holiday shopping or shopping in general and shopping local. And um, my next guest doesn't quite kind of directly fit into that, but in an indirect way, he does because he is an author, but he currently has a book out that recently came out on the 13th of November that definitely would be a great book for the holidays. I will vouch for it. Um, it is pertinent to the LGBT community because it is about the LGBTQ community. It is written in dramatic series form that you would see on television but also because it is about a locale a definite it's about chicago and um he does sell his book online but we were talking about shopping local if you are from chicago and you buy directly from him as opposed to buying on Amazon.com or iTunes, which he does sell his books. But you can buy his books directly from his own website, both digitally as well as getting a hard copy. So, again, shopping local doesn't have to be maybe the physical shop, as we talked about. It could also be that that shop in your locale has a website that you buy from, and this might be that kind of case. So I am talking about Jake Biondi. Beyond, excuse me, he's the author of the Boys Town series, which just had its fourth series come out November 13th. And he's been on the show before, and we talked about um, the show. He's working toward having the show on television as a regular uh, drama series or soap type, nighttime soap series. And he kind of fills us in on what this new series is about, some new characters added to the book, and how it is going with his production team about getting this show on the air. So here is my interview with Jake Biondi. Hello, Jake. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. We're on the phone to talk to you about your wonderful, your wonderful book, Boys Town, which series four, wow. Well, I usually released the uh, cover. I think you did it on like October 8th or something of uh, right. series uh, four. And this cover is a bit different from your other ones in that it includes more than a half a dozen guys on it. Yeah, we have, because um, the first cover just has the one and the second, I think, has seven. And then we went from, I think, eight or nine and the next one to, I did one, one more person than, than the last one because... I wanted the consistency of some of the same people that have been on all of them, mm-hmm. but I also wanted to inter- make room for it because each book has new characters, so right. I figured that that should be reflected on the cover. And 
Um, I've gotten some great new members to the Boys Town Boys team of models, and I wanted them to be represented on the front as well. So um, yeah, a couple, a couple of them. That's, are, how that, that's how that came about. A couple of them I recognize. Well, you know, as the series continues to go on with the with the books, um, you're going to run out of space to put all these models on the cover. Well, we gotta rotate them. We gotta rotate them in and out. We have a few of the veterans, you know, like Corey and Brad and Aaron. Those are sort of like the core faces from the beginning. I mean, Aaron's the one that's been on every every book cover, so they're always the core. And then others will get rotated in and out as characters in the series come and go. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I know that you've always um, paid attention to um, diversity um, in your in your uh, representation of the characters in the book um and um and so therefore i know on the cover you 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 know i don't know if it's consciously or subconsciously you know seem to try and um you know represent as many people as you can out there so that when they see the cover they could possibly see themselves Uh, but you've also mentioned that your your fans or your audience is diverse and yep. I kind of never asked you about elaborating on that because, you know, diverse can mean a lot of different things as far as, you know, if you want to be specific as far as, well, it's diverse because I have, you know, female and male audiences or I have tall and short audience. In your mind, what does that, what does diverse mean to you when you talk about your audience? Well, I can tell you that sort of historically that, that women have been the largest readers of the book all along. Mm-hmm. Um, mainly straight women, uh, and I was surprised by that when it first started. They're the ones that really gobbled the book up, and they're the ones that really spread the word about it. And then eventually, I think, um, you know, gay male readers came on board almost second. Um, so that was a surprise to me in some ways, but maybe not others, because, um, you know, w- women tend to be very open to trying new books and avid readers and things. So that was really a nice surprise, and because of sort of the soapy nature of the book, right? I was going to say, yeah, the way they're drama, yeah, the way they're written, the way they're written are kind of like a soap opera or, or a, you know, drama. Uh, uh, right, and 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 what's been nice too is that because so now I would say that the audience is really genuinely diverse in terms of gay and straight, male, female, older, younger. I have some readers lately that have been contacting me that are in the early 20s um, and others that are, you know, well into their 60s and even some early 70s. So age-wise, I've got, you know, nice diversity there as well. And um, multicultural background is all over the place, which is great. And I'm excited because the the fourth book introduces my first Asian character. Um, So there have been audiences, members have reached out to me actually to say, you know, when are you going to have one? Because we've been reading the books and want to, you know, mm-hmm. want to see ourselves, like you said. And so an Asian character is introduced in book four. Um, and the other thing that's been nice is just like as I've been working with the TV producers to bring it to TV, um, just the fact that it is a broad, diverse audience because I think that, you know, after the demise of looking, um, people are maybe a little hesitant to touch a show that they think is going to have a really narrow viewing audience. Mm-hmm. And, um, they, you know, I, I can show them on paper and just through also anecdotal stories that 
the Boys Town readership is really broad and really diverse, and I think much more of a typical sort of TV viewing audience than it would be, you know, narrow just to a game viewing audience. Well, and that's a that's a good point to bring out because in your book, I know you, of course, it's a it's it it is a gay, you know, book not just because the author is gay, but the characters, the primary characters are gay, but your straight characters in the book also have a continuum as far as the storylines go. Uh, yeah, I mean, we've got, I mean, and a part of that is just because I want to more accurately reflect the Real actual Boys Town neighborhood, and yeah. it has become much more diverse and more more of a straight population as well, and everybody is sort of intermingled, and so I wanted to make sure that I had some straight characters, bisexual, and then gay characters all in the book, because I think it reflects the neighborhood more accurately than just only gay characters. Do, do you have a trans character in, in Series 4? I do not, not yet. That might be your next one to tackle. Am I, am I, am I exactly. <laughs> you know, um, but, um, yeah, I mean, I think that might be some of the differences, you know, about looking, when we were talking about turning the book, you know, into a TV show, that this already has built into it is because there are characters, um, straight characters in there that are in each series, that it's not, it's continue, you know, and I know in looking, if I recall remembering the series, that you didn't have that. There, there was that one um, female roommate, I remember, in the, in the show. But she really didn't have a, um, a major part. She was kind of that voice of reason at times when, when the boys were going through certain stuff. But because um, there was also, it was up in the air whether or not she would even be in season two. So I know that it wasn't right. thought off that this was going to be a, a prominent character throughout. So um, it's really, I think that's really good that you have. Um, um, so that, so like you said, like like people follow the characters. It's good that the straight people who read your book can also follow characters from from series to series that they can relate to and not have to pick up a new. Yeah, and, and age wise too, you know, I've got because Jensen is the youngest character in the series. He's nineteen. And actually, I introduced another 19-year-old in book four. And then they go up to, you know, 50. So you've got age-wise there. And obviously, people of different ages are coping with different things. So, right, exactly. Um, I wanted to make sure that we included the age range in there as well. Now, in your books, too, you have, just like um, we talked about before in other interviews, about these shows being very similar to primetime uh, drama series of the, the late 70s and 80s. And, um, you know, of course, each one of those always ends in a cliffhanger, which your books, your book series do as well. And um, yep. I'm just curious about, you know, series three had the big fire, which was, you know, the major cliffhanger for everybody to, to sit on their edge to see who survived and what was going to go on, which series four um, picks up from there and at least answers those questions. And, of course, presents a whole set of new ones, um, I'm sure. <laughs> Um, but where do you come up with these cliffhanger ideas? Do you already have a sense when you're writing the books? When you sit down to write your series as they go on, do these cliffhangers develop as you go on? Or do you already know that, okay, season four, I want this to happen at the end. And, you, and then you just concentrate on getting from now to that point. Yeah, it's a little bit of both. For the most part, I have the endings in mind, and then I sort of work backwards. Mm -hmm. um, and then every now and then, in the middle of writing, um, something will just present itself as something I hadn't anticipated. So 
if you remember at the end of book two when they when um the videos are switched at the engagement party and it reveals Derek and, and Cole. Mm-hmm. That was something that I thought about as I was writing. That wasn't one of the ones I had in mind when I began the book. Um, so sometimes they come up as I'm writing, um, but for the most part, I have the end in mind and then sort of work backwards from there. And the other thing that's different, this, well, one thing I want to, wanted to mention too is that one of the things I liked about this new cover that um, Michael Vargas designed is that he got the fire motif in there. Mm-hmm. So, um, because so much of the opening of book four is resolved in the fire from book three, the fact that he got the images of the fire in there, I thought was cool. But um, the other thing I learned is that in the fire, obviously I had a whole bunch of people in the same cliffhanger, and that presents challenges when you're when you're doing the sort of aftermath of that, right. because you got re- got to reveal everything all at once, because it's all the same people. And so um, the cliffhangers in book, at the end of book four, which I think are actually bigger, involve fewer people, but there are more of them. I got him. Also in book four, or series four, you bring back some, or you introduce, excuse me, not bring back, but you have some people that are, are performers, like real people that we know, we yeah. all know um, in real life, are introduced in your book. I think that, that, I mean, that is a lesson I learned, you know, at the, at the, in book two, when Amy Armstrong is a, is a singer here, who's a fabulous singer, and she travels around to Mexico and Michigan and St. Louis, and she's a performer, and she was a fan of the book, and she asked me for a stack of books once to give out at her performances, and one of the things that she said to me was, we have to help each other out, like artists, mm-hmm. no matter what kind of art you're doing, you need to help each other out, and I thought, wow, that's amazing way to, to go through life with an optimistic, helpful outlook. And so I thought, well, what can I do as an author since I'm not out there in front of the public like she is? And so I thought that it would be nice to write them in as themselves. And so she, I wrote her in the book two, three, and she's in four again. And then um, the people from Whiskey and Cherries with the little singing trio. And then Steve Grand, I wrote in so that, that in the third book as a tribute to him because in a lot of ways, he's a role model, and, and I did have the good fortune of, by fluke, meeting him on his birthday here in Chicago. We happened to bump into each other at a, at a bar that he was celebrating his birthday at. and had a really great conversation. He was a super sweet guy, and um, I asked him if I could write him in just as a tribute to him, and he was, I said, absolutely, he was really honored, and that was so great. And so um, he's mentioned in book four again. And then a friend of mine, Chadwick Stat, who is also local and does a different, you know, performs and also an artist. Um, I thought, how can I celebrate him? Because he's been such a great big fan, and so I wrote him in as well. So it's a little, my little way, sort of thanking people for support and also trying to pay it forward and get their name out there a little bit in a way that I can. Um, the same way that Amy helped me by, you know, doing it during her performances and things. So it, it's been fun and a nice way to, a little way, I guess, of paying tribute and, and thanks the people have been supportive and are also talented, great people. Now, do you have these people involved through dialogue in the book, or are they just mentioned as uh, in passing, like, you know, I went to a, a Whiskey and Cherries trio show, or... No, I always I always have them involved in dialogue with the characters, just to make it fun, although I have always make it clear, and I promise them they will never be involved in any kind of a cliffhanger or life or death situation. Or, or so scandal. Or a, scandal. A fundraiser or something like that where they can have a little scene interacting with the characters and then, you know, playing in the background or whatever of, a, of the regular scene. Mm-hmm. So it's fun, um, but I never put them in their lives in danger or anything like that. 
or a scandal? What do you, do you promise not to involve them in the scandal? No scandal. They are there as just to show off their talent and be friends with some of the main characters and have their moment in the book, and then the action of the book continues to move on. Well, God, we'd love to see Steve Grand break out, break up one of your couples. That would be good. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll have to talk to him about that. No, no that would be a now. You know, you, you brought up already earlier in the conversation about you're working with producers, and I do believe you're working with probably two solid, I, can, yeah. I think you would probably say two solid producers, um, yeah. with, with the books and in developing them into a series. And, you know, I know that process takes a lot longer than we, you and I both would, would want anything to take. Um, that process yeah. takes long. Um, but I want to ask you, without um, having to divulge a lot about what's going on in this, but you know, what, ha- what have you been finding as a, a person going through this for the first time, some of the biggest hurdles that you're having to deal with when, um, you know, working with television um, uh, versus, you know, what you think, you know, something that you would do, something you have to do differently in presenting this as a potential series versus keep writing them as books. What are you finding that some of the hurdles that you're having to adjust to, having to uh, either adjust, you know, uh, future scripts, because I know you've written script one already, but I'm sure you're probably right. having to go back and do some things already based on what you're finding um, needs to happen as far as it being on television. You know, can you kind of... Yeah, I mean, this was, there was some... I mean, first of all, just writing it in the script format was something I had to learn uh, and understanding all the constraints of that and the idea of it had to be either a 30-minute or a 60-minute episode and where would the commercials go and those kinds of things. So there was that initial hurdle. And now I think that just, I mean, every day is a, is a learning curve for me. So now I'm just learning that the, the fact that it is such a business. Mm-hmm. So the two producers I'm working with are fabulous and I want to pull on there. They love Chicago and they love the books and all that, which is great. So they're really helpful in educating me. But I mean, for example, just the amount of time spent on pursuing product placement mm-hmm. and getting that in line and the amount of meetings that they've had with different people to get product placement in line and, and what kind of alcohol would the, would the characters be drinking and what cars would they be driving and what clothes would they be wearing. That whole like business merchandising piece is you know something that was completely off my radar. Oh, yeah, then, well, honey, that, um, pays, that pays the, the bill. <laughs> I know, exactly. You know, so it's like, okay, that pays so the that, bill. What are you talking about? Like, that has to be in there. Uh, but, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. I understand what you're saying about that. Those are those, those are things as a writer that you just, it, it doesn't register in your in your mind that you have to be concerned about. But that's why that's why they're producers. That's what they do. Um, exactly, exactly. And then, yeah, and then just pursuing people. And, again, like the sales pitch of, you know, getting investors to give to put some money up front and to, and to show them that it's a diverse audience that it, that it has a built-in audience already that it will be a successful series if they risk putting money into it. So the business piece and constantly selling, you know, is is the main focus. Um, and so even though I'm involved more directly in the writing than that, that kind of stuff, I'm constantly on the phone with the two producers. Letting me know who they met with and what do I think about this and brainstorming and bouncing things off of each other. Um, and I'm lucky because I wound up with two great guys that are trustworthy and, you know, and very, you know, patient with me. And, and so that's worked. But just learning the business, that's the part that's been the, the most interesting.
what about as you go on? I mean, you know, you know, this is this this book series and going into a TV series is on the line of you know Aaron Spelling, and yeah. you know, as a creator of this, I mean, as things go on, you may have written the first script uh, for the first um, um, series epi- episodes for the first series season, but I mean. What about the future and the thought of bringing in completely a, a writing team and you just be the creator with? Um, yeah, I mean, that's that's how it might go. It'll depend again on ultimately where we land. And people are already asking me about, like, well, can we take one of the characters and move them to West Hollywood and have a spin off series? Can we, can we move them to Canada and have a spin off? And be like, People are already thinking about, like, how is... Vancouver, is San Francisco, they all have names, like Ca- right. the Castro, right. the Castro exactly. series. I know, and so they're, they're, actually, they always refer to it now as a franchise, and, like, what can we do for the franchise to expand and that kind of thing. So, you know, what, writing team, I'm sure, at some point will be a discussion. I would never want to not be involved in some way. Um, so this could so, be the primetime dramatic series um like design i'm uh, not designing um real housewives where it became a franchise I know. where every city exactly. <laughs> oh I my mean, gosh can you imagine oh my god the game i'll be happy if we just get it in one just get voice on itself on tv and we'll worry about the spinoffs later but i mean that's one of the things well, that well that guy that guy's spinning your... off all the way to the bank so i mean <laughs> right exactly i know so that's i think they are kind of about how can we convince these investors that this has got lots of stakes? Well, a lot of legs, yeah, a lot of a lot of different legs. Now, one thing that I know that's very popular, or becoming very popular with the um, modern age of technology, and because you you mentioned about um, earlier that in the demographics that you are starting to hear from more young people actually reading the books, but we all know, you and I know that trying to get young people to sit down and actually read books is very difficult because of today's technology use. And so I know that it's been, um, the audio books have definitely become really big these days. And I remember the, I remember the days of the introductions of audio books and it was really kind of a passe thing because people who were avid readers thought it was a cheat, you know, you know, that the the joy of reading was lost by sitting there listening to a narrative but nowadays, that's almost kind of the way it rolls. I think a lot of people, um, more than ever, which is why we have iBooks and all these, you know, these different applications that allow that to happen in different forms. And I've been getting many, many, many emails from different authors and different, um, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, publishing houses about their audiobook releases. And I just was thinking about, particularly with your thought of this becoming a series and in the process of not knowing when that will happen. Um, I'm not saying that it, I'm saying it will happen. It's just knowing when it will be. And sometimes that right. takes a lot of time, you know, that you'll continue to be yep. writing. You'll be continue to continue your story. So that's never going to go away. But in the process of just trying to finding out um, how people respond to you know, in their mind, they create a vision of your characters. But, you know, without hearing voices, a lot of things left for interpretation, individual interpretation. Have you ever thought about maybe making a, one book into an audio? Um, with I thought, yeah, I thought, I thought about that. And, and again, that process. And then, 
um, got sort of focused on the show, the show aspect more, just in terms of time constraints. But it is funny, like what you're saying, because there are, there, I mean, certainly everybody reads off Kindle or iPad. And, um, then I have other readers that are just old school that are like, nope, I want a paperback copy in my hand and mm-hmm. nothing else. Um, so it is funny that different habits that people have. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, you know, like, and even some of the younger, younger readers that still, they, you know, obviously have iPads and iPhones and all that stuff, but they still want a paperback copy. And some people like to read it on the Kindle and they still want a paperback copy for the shelf. So, mm-hmm. um, it just, it just depends on, on, you know, on people's interests, I guess. But I obviously wanted to make sure that I took advantage at least of all the ebook formats. So it's available in every electronic version possible. And then maybe one day down the road, we'll go the audio book route as well. Well, I'm excited for you. I'm, I'm just so glad that, you know, the, the books continue to come and you're can continue to roll them out even while trying to um, get the the book series into a TV series that you're continuing to, um, you know, do what you normally do with the with Well, the thank you. I have to say that thank you to you because you've been so great about supporting it and interviews and magazines and all that kind of stuff because, as you know, getting the word out on anything is hard. So I appreciate all of your help. Well, thank you, Jake, for sharing all of that on there. Again, I said reading is one of those things what we don't do enough of, and sometimes uh, getting a book or uh, you know something to read for a gift it might be the only time we actually go out and we don't buy it ourselves. So um, if you ha- need a last-minute gift, go on to jakebiondi.com. Let me give you the whole thing. www.jakebiondi.com and you can pick up a copy, a last minute copy of the E form of it, um, of the Boys Town Series 4. And many times he will have he will offer some of the previous series for free. So you might want to check for sure to see if you can get along with the one you purchase. You might be able to throw in a little gimme up in there so people are up to date on all the characters of that book series. Um, But we're going to take another brief uh, uh, break. And when we come back, we're going to have that one and only Sister Roma. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Progressive Voices channel on TuneIn. Please help us grow. Tell your friends to tune in to Progressive Voices. Find out more at ProgressiveVoices.com. Hey, we are back. We are back from our, our final break of the afternoon again this is the 20th so i'm gonna finish up real quickly here but very importantly with with someone because i know you guys have to do that last minute shopping and i'm not going to be the reason why you did not get a gift for somebody you are not going to say well i was listening to it's everything dying nah i'm not gonna do that so um so i am going to move on and i'm going to bring on not only a dear friend of mine but someone who is dear to the community not just san francisco not just united states but has world recognition and world wide um um, benefits that she has done for everyone out there and um, recently uh, attended and was a part of the Authentic Name 
public or community forum held by Facebook in conjunction with the San Francisco Pride organization uh, this past Wednesday. And so I have Sister Roma here because all of you know about uh, my name is group. You know that Sister Roma is uh, the one who kind of spearheaded all of this. And after a year and a few months, we're, we're actually seeing some results from all of the fighting and, that has been going on with many different groups, but primarily the My Name Is group. And so she's going to fill us in on what actually happened during that forum. Um, Sister Roma, are you there? Hi, baby. How are you, Miss Busy B? I mean, I have to tell everybody, I don't even know how, how you had time to go to this meeting because you have been on planes all over this country girl um and i just don't know like i really i don't know i just don't know how you've been able to, to do it but you you've you've done it and i know this has been a very important um fight for you in a cause that you are is personal to you um with the authentic name um, business at facebook and after a year and some odd months, um, we know that this meeting came about um, due to all of the, the noise that's been going on, not only in this country, but in this world, about the use of your real names versus your authentic names. And so this, this form included not just people from the My Name Is campaign, but other groups. Can you kind of fill us in on who was a part of this panel? Well, actually, Facebook really represented. They pulled out some big wigs, including Alex, who is the he's the vice president. He's a member of our community. He's a proud gay man. And they pulled out Todd, the project manager, who's been working on addressing the issues around fake name reporting. And it was a lot of people that you well, you've been part of my name is since the beginning too, BB. We've been working on this together side by side, so you would have recognized a lot of faces in the audience. There were a lot of heavy hitters from Facebook there. There was a lot of members of Pride. The Pride board turned out in great numbers, and there was a lot of people from the community. And I got to tell you, I love San Francisco and I love our community because they were there to be heard and let Facebook know mm-hmm. that they, you know, they spoke up immediately. They were very gracious, let me say a few words, but as soon as Facebook started to talk, they started shouting out questions. They wanted answers. They were letting Facebook know that they were in pain, that they were angry at being shut off from their social network on the site. Well, you know, one of the things that I know um, people involved with, uh, this fight over the last year and, and some months have been that we didn't feel Facebook, Facebook really got the message that this was beyond drag kings, drag queens, um, and um, actors and, you know, people who are in entertainment. This was, this th- we may have been the ones making the noise, but this was beyond that. Did this forum send that message home? This forum felt very much directed towards the LGBTQ queer community. Mm-hmm. Um, there definitely was a focus, and the changes, the updates that they've made to the process include domestic violence survivors and ethnic minorities, but the updates really seem focused at our community in particular. So it's a step in the right direction. and. I wish that there had been more representation from other groups affected by this. As we all know, there are millions of people who use Facebook 
with authentic identities that for their own protection, for their own safety. And also mental health care workers, school teachers use names on Facebook that are not their legal names to protect their students and their patients and their clients. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a huge issue. It's a gigantic problem for Facebook. And we're making small steps towards addressing it here in our community. And hopefully, eventually, those changes will branch out and help other people. Now, one of the things that I know also that was part of um, the fight was um, – how easy their past um, policies um, adherement, I guess is the best way to say that, is was it made it easy for all of us um, to be victimized or bullied by the policy because there wasn't any recourse um, on a person who may have been reporting us uh, for the wrong motives, you know what I mean? Um, so anybody could report anybody, and you report, and the person was immediately taken down, um, and there wasn't any uh, opportunity for that person for a really major rebuttal with anybody, uh, any person. How how has that changed? Because I understand there has been some changes to how that is done. Well, that's. Absolutely right. And that's one of the reasons that I decided to sit on the panel in the forum and sit next to Facebook. Because when I first heard about the changes, I was honestly, seriously debating whether or not I wanted to participate. Because I'm not going to sit there and pretend to tell my community that I love that this this is fixed. Mm -hmm. That here's the solution. Everything's perfect. Go forth and be whoever you want to be. Because that is not the case. But as you said, it's going to be a lot more difficult for malicious targeters and bulliers just go through like my friend list or your friend list and be like drag queen faggot trans person drag queen drag queen and just report 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 now they're going to have to explain further why they're making the report because facebook has acknowledged that they think a lot of users are using fake name reporting wrongly incorrectly Mm -hmm. that they actually mean to report bad behavior so now when you report that you can go further and say this person is bullying me this person is impersonating someone else they're turning it back to behavior again which is awesome which is which which doesn't make sense of why they even have fake name on there if they're asking you the behavior issue behind your reporting absolutely 100 percent then they go further, and there's a text field that is required where you have to give further explanation as to why you're making this report. And I think that when people get to that point, hopefully, they'll just give up. They'll just escape the, out. Well, that's, or they'll, they'll put some ridiculous, bigoted, wrong right. answer in there right. that will be revealed and it will be thrown out. Well, plus, so, you know, we all know the harder you make somebody to do, regardless good or bad— the the least the le- the less chance they're actually going to follow through with it. You know, even if it is the bad part about that is even when you make things difficult for the right reasons, um, people quit because they you know that's too difficult. I'm not going to report this person even though they should. You know what I mean? But um, but for in this case, we really need to have something in place that makes it a little bit more thoughtful and a little bit more time consuming for somebody. Because if they're really, if it's really a big deal, they'll go through with it. If it was really something done maliciously, let's say screw it. Yeah, exactly. And that's my biggest hope. So that will avoid most of the, hopefully, most of the people in our community and beyond won't even reach the point where they're asked to explain their identity or prove their identity. Now, the other changes are if you do reach the point where they are questioning your identity, you will have an opportunity to explain that you have a special circumstance, and that includes LGBTQ, that includes transgender specifically, that includes 
uh, racial minorities, that includes domestic violence survivors, and then you have a text field where you can explain your situation. Which we and didn't I, have before, which we did right. not have before at and all. Facebook, when also what we didn't have before, was a dedicated team who's going to actually, a real group of human beings who are going to sit down and review this and read what you've written and determine from that how to move forward. Well, I just and want to say... Well, then we've yeah. contributed to the economy because we just created jobs. Holy! <laughs> <laughs> we yes, you're we created jobs. Okay, we created a job <laughs> for some folks at Facebook. I love that. I love that. Going back well, to a lot, of those, a lot of those people were in the audience last night, and I talked to them personally and thanked them for doing that, and I encouraged them to listen to those stories and to read them and to realize that these are real people with real special situations. They're not malicious users. They're not breaking any of their rules. They're trying to identify authentically. And they seem really empathetic, and they seem to really get it. Mm -hmm. So my other hope is that when these people hear these reports and these stories, that they'll address it with the same compassion that you and I have when we hear the stories. I totally agree. I yeah, so I feel pretty hopeful. I feel, yeah. now here's the here's the bad news, and I hope you're sitting down, girl, because uh-huh. you're going to die. Because when I heard this, I almost choked. Okay. The changes that they've rolled out, that they've announced in this huge social media blitz, went up to 1% of the U.S. users. What? States have only released 1% of users in the U.S. Now, when I heard that, I almost... So, Oakland, uh, Oakland can do it. Maybe. <laughs> so, I, mean, yeah, I, I, it was, I was like, 1%. I said, are you kidding me? I, just, I couldn't believe it. But here's the thing. When Facebook, as we all know, has 1.5 billion users. They have a huge mm-hmm. responsibility to everybody. La, 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 every, la, 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 I know. You know, but... But every update and every modification and every change they make in the site, this is the procedure. This is the way they proceed. I'm glad they're not China because they would be in a heap of trouble getting some crap done. You know what I'm saying? Because you imagine China goes, well, you know, we might do that, but we have a billion people living in this country, and we just really can't, you know. We're going to have, so, we're going we're gonna to kill babies until, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I know, I know, and but so here's the thing, that's their standard procedure, that's the way that they move forward, and as we know from dealing with them for over a year now, Thank you. It, it, so when, it when is their, when is their projection time. of it being rolled out completely to 100% of their... Well, that's the next thing that we need to, we're having another working group meeting, we're going to get a report on how these changes have worked so far. I also, so the next thing that I'm going to push for is to get a link or an email or a way that people who have already been negatively impacted and reported and had their accounts shut down can get back. Right, because this is my thing. And, and, and then I'm, I'm going to ask this final kind of question if it came up and if there was a solution at all and, and before we go. But it's like, well, we've always wanted them to have some type of moratorium on the specific um, fake name reporting, not anything else. Um now that they have seen that they're, they've de- this definitely admits to, I mean, it's an admission that they needed to do more with this policy. Not that Absolutely. it's wrong particularly, that, but they are at least saying it needs some fixing to, for it to work fairly for everybody. So with that right. being said, why aren't they not saying, okay, now the policy that we have, people, people that are using fake name as a reporting thing are going to be directed to another choice. 
Not even given the opportunity to do like fake name and fake name comes up and it says, please choose from the following selection. And it'll be say, and there'll be some behavioral issues. Um, are, I mean, because people are going to still be taken down and people are still going to be now in a situation where they can't explain their special circumstance until 100% of the users are able to access this new change. Right. Well, it's, hopefully these new changes will roll out and the results will be very favorable and the world will come to an end and they will move forward and it will become... And they, the, the top brass there assured me that they want to roll it out to everybody as soon as possible. And I believe them. You know, working with Facebook has been challenging. As We started to have a good relationship with them. We felt deceived by them and then we were working with them diligently to get our community back online, and they sort of dropped the ball on that. So that's why we took the protest to their campus. We held June 1st. We protested out there, and then we attempted to get them banned from SF Pride, and that's what really put the wind back in their sails. That action, I believe, is largely responsible for them hiring a full-time employee project manager who's responsible for making sure that these changes take place and expanded the entire team and really made them realize this is super important to our community. So... I know it sounds like a lot of, uh, they're giving us a lot of corporate bullshit crap, but I honestly believe that they get it and they do want to work with us and they are working with us. So I'm hopeful. And the reason that I was there last night is because I've been there since the beginning and I'm not going to desert it now. Right. I'm going to stick with it. And, and, we, and we thank you all, not just the community, LGBTQ community, but I know many other sub communities um thank you for standing up for everybody on this and um you know this is one thing that and before I, I let everyone before i let you go and and end on uh, in the the show is that you know we all we all get involved with different projects and different fights in our in our lifetime and very rarely do we ever see the results of all of our labor. We really don't. I mean, things may change, but we really don't see it ourselves sometimes because, but this is the first time I've ever been involved with something where I know what I said and what I did made a difference. And I think um, everybody who's been a part of this fight against Facebook or the policy of not against Facebook, Facebook's policy um, can say that because it really did make a, a difference. I've never been a part of something where internationally people picked up on it and it, it right. you know to read in ma in magazines and newspapers across the world and they always bring light of starting in san francisco when a bunch of drag queens you know it's like that's right. always in there you know transvestites or whatever they want to call us uh <laughs> is always in there and that just makes me feel like for the next fight i'm going to feel even more um uh, good about taking a step forward in a fight against something because I definitely have seen it. So all of you out there who are listening and have been a part of this whole thing, please be encouraged by what came out of this meeting. Please see that, you know, big change does take a lot of time. We do know that, you know, Rome wasn't built it in does. a day, as they always say. Um, so um, just hold tight, but keep up the fight. Keep on letting them know when it's not right um, because the moment we let our, our, our guard down and, and be passive that, oh, well, they're going to, they're fixing it. No, let them know it's still not fixed and we're, we are watching it. You know, let them know. That's that. what I told them. I told them that last night. I said, I'm going to be here till the end and I'm going to keep working you. I'm going to get, I'm going to work you down. I'm going to be on your last 
nerve. That's why I'll be on your lap. I'm going to get you. We're going to get you. Well, thank you. I tell you one other thing. Can I tell you one other thing? Sure. I was interviewed by BBC this morning about this whole thing, and it was just, you are the best interviewer. You are so thoughtful. Your questions are so on point, and your comments are so in tune with your the person that you're talking with. You have this great intuitiveness behind what you do. And it's not just because I love you and we're, like, best friends. I'm telling you this just as a perspective of someone who's been interviewed multiple times by several impressive outlets and people. You are one of my favorite interviewers. You are amazing. Thank you very much, Sister Rome. I appreciate that very much. And what a way to come off. Uh, the show and go into our holiday season. I want to wish everybody out there a very happy holiday, regardless of what you're celebrating coming next week. And I can't wait to talk to you next weekend. So until then, bye-bye. 